way we grow and produce food is ever-changing, shaped by consumers and the climate in which we live and farm. Research at all points of our food system is essential for continuously improving food's journey from farm to table. The Manitoba Agriculture and Food Knowledge Exchange explores timely research innovations and applications that make our food system better than ever. Join us for today's podcast. Hello and welcome. This is Changemakers, a Manitoba Agriculture and Food Knowledge Exchange, otherwise known as MAKE, podcast series with me, Chantal Bassett. In each episode, we'll chat with an academic member of the Faculty of Agricultural and Food Sciences at the University of Manitoba to find out about the research and innovation they're working on and how this is shaping agriculture and food production in Manitoba and around the world. Now, as the research facilitator for the faculty, I get to work with all our incredible innovators, and I think it's high time for others to get to know their research, as well as get to know the person behind these discoveries. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Kurt McCartney, our very own wheat breeding and genomics expert within the Department of Plant Science. Thanks for joining me, Kurt. Thank you very much, Chantal. So, Kurt, before we get into the details about what you study, can you please share how you got to where you are today? Okay. I grew up on a grain farm uh, near Port Prairie, Manitoba. Uh, growing up, I was reading a lot of the farm magazines that my, my dad had, and uh, I got interested in production issues were discussed and talked about in these articles about sclerotinia, having back moths, in canola, there's emerging fusarium head blight as a problem, and in wheat. And uh, so I got interested from there. And then in high school, I really enjoyed uh, biology courses, and uh, in particular genetics. I was always interested in that, in that particular topic. And then during my undergraduate degree at the University of Manitoba, I took a, the genetics program, and this led me to take a course in plant breeding. And I was hooked right away. It kind of merged everything I was interested in, um, from farming and uh, also genetics, and kind of uh, put it all together into something that would be quite unique and, and quite interesting uh, in terms of a career. That's how I got interested in the field and uh, why, I'm, why I ultimately ended up doing it. So what path did you take that led you to becoming an academic within our faculty? Yeah, so after I completed my undergraduate degree, I uh, spoke with the former wheat breeder here at the University of Manitoba, Dr. Anita Burley-Babel. I ended up uh, doing graduate studies with her um, studying genetics of resistance to one of the leaf spotting diseases of, of spring wheat. So I, I started off in a master's program, which ultimately ended up being a PhD. And then I went and did a, a postdoctoral position with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada here in Winnipeg. And then from there, I uh, joined the University of Saskatchewan Crop Development Centre as a serial flax pathologist with them. And then I was there for five years and then ultimately came back to the Ag Canada Winnipeg program in 2010. Worked there for 10 years as a geneticist working on wheat and oats and then ultimately I rejoined the University of Manitoba as a wheat breeder in 2020. Yeah and we're great that you have brought all this wealth of experience throughout your career and so you're relatively new uh, to the University of Manitoba but um, you are bringing such a wealth of knowledge. Yeah thank you. So Kurt what's the focus of your research? What challenges are you trying to solve? Well there's different sort of areas of, of the work. Uh, one would be in the area of genetics, just under, a better understanding of the genetics of, of, of wheat. And the other one is actually breeding the crop. So in the, the area of genetics, I'm trying to better understand the inheritance of traits that matter to farmers, also to the, the wheat industry overall, and ultimately to consumers. So this is going to range from disease and insect resistance, which will prevent damage to farmers' crops and ultimately reduce the, the need or ultimate use of pesticides in, in crops. 
So in particular, insecticides and fungicides can be reduced through the use of uh, genetic resistance in varieties that the farmers are growing. And I guess one of the other things that we're doing with the genetics is answering some of the fundamental questions is how many genes are involved in a partic- controlling a particular trait? And can we identify DNA markers that we can use to track the inheritance of these genes in breeding programs? So then the area of, of wheat breeding, I'm, I'm working on winter wheat with the goal of developing varieties for Western Canada. In the breeding program, we're implementing what we're learning from the genetic research. In the case of winter wheat, the main thing we're trying to improve upon at this point in time, it would be winter survival. It still remains to, uh, an important uh, limiting factor for production of winter wheat in, in the prairies. Either develop more consistently varieties that are at the best of the range of um, winter survival, but also shoot past the current sort of upper limit of winter survival that we currently have. In addition to that, there are all the other typical traits that wheat breeders are concerned with, grain yield, disease resistance, and grain quality. So that would be typical of of the other breeding programs that are working in spring wheat. And then I guess the final thing my lab does is we also test wheat and triticale breeding lines from breeders across the prairies. These would be both spring sown and and false uh, sown types of, of these crops. And we're testing them for resistance to fusarium head blight, also commonly known as FHB. FHB is the most destructive disease of weed in Canada, in many other parts of the world, so there's a lot of need for developing resistant varieties to this particular disease. So it's affecting the farmers, but it's also affecting the, the millers and uh, the people breaking baking bread as well. So it has a big impact on everybody, and there are limits to the amount of the toxin that the fungus uh, produces in the grain. So that will uh, limit the harvested grain from a field might not sell for a top price if it has a lot of that particular toxin in it. So we ultimately collect this information on the new breeding lines that are being developed, and we send that back to the breeders that are operating in different prairie provinces, and then they use that information to throw away the really susceptible stuff. And uh, as a result of this work, the, the level of resistance in the varieties is improving over, over time. Okay. So in terms of end goal, I've heard that, you know, reducing pesticides, fungicides, and also uh, in terms of quality, in terms of the flour that we could derive for different products based on different wheat varieties. Kurt, is there also any impact of climate change? Is that a reason why we're exploring different types of wheats and resistance beyond uh, just disease and pests? Well, climate change is going to have a really important impact on crop production in, in the prairies and really anywhere in the world. Farmers are, are very much at the mercy of, of the weather. So what I'm thinking with uh, climate change, we're likely to see basically a migration of the crops in the U.S. up to Canada. And in terms of the, length, the growing season is going to get longer, we're going to see some of the crops that they're growing down there maybe a little bit more commonly up here. We're already seeing it already with a lot more soybean being produced and, and, and things like that. So in the area, like, so with my work on winter wheat, um, I'm expecting the winters, well, I'm hoping, hoping we're expecting <laughs> that the winter get a little bit milder and we're going to see increased winter survival and, and the, the winter uh, hardiness of the crop is likely to become less critical over time. So I think there's going to be opportunities for winter wheat in the future. Um, so I think that's one thing to consider with climate change. Breeding programs are are long-term research efforts, and you can't just start and stop them quickly, or on, on a dime, essentially. There is a real need for the breeding of winter wheat that is locally adapted to the weather conditions here, but I, I'm expecting these, these weather conditions to change over time. I guess the final thing I was thinking of, just breeding in general as a, as a broader topic, it's really important to have active plant breeding programs in all crops 
to allow the, our, our crops that we're growing to adapt to the new environment because active breeding programs are constantly selecting for the new environment that they're facing. So the crop that they're developing is changing every year. I think that's another important thing to consider is it's really critical to have these breeding programs operating or you're effectively, if you don't have them, you're locked in time with a certain set of genetics which might not fit the future. So Kurt, what impact do you hope your research will have? So I guess I'd like to see winter meat production increase in the prairies. I think we're going to need improved winter survival to accomplish that goal. And I think the other piece of the puzzle is increasing grain yield relative to, to spring wheat to make the crop a little bit more financially attractive to entice farmers into growing it more commonly or more often. I, uh, I'd also like to see with the, the research we're doing on the Fusarium headlight resistance to um, result in and continue slow march towards a really strongly resistant set of germplasm that such that we don't have much problems with Fusarium headlight anymore in our fields. It's, it's really critically important disease to get under control and the genetics of the resistance is really complicated compared to the other diseases. The progress that we've been making has taken more time than you'd like to see, but it's really important that we, we get that to happen. So I, I'm expecting we are going to get there, and these nurseries that we're growing for testing these uh, new breeding lines is critically important for achieving that goal because there's no other way to assess whether it's resistant or not other than these uh, field trials. I think the final area that I'm hoping to make impact in is, the, is in the training of graduate students in the area of uh, plant genetics and, and crop breeding. We need to be training new people to take over these positions as, as people are retiring and to further move ahead how we're actually doing these types of research projects and, and getting new ideas into our work is really important. And then I guess finally would be in the area of uh, teaching undergraduate students as well in the area of genetics. Teaching is quite a bit of fun. So I assume that many you know, farm kids across the prairies um, are relying on going to programs such as the U of M's still to learn some of the basics so that they can recognize um, you know, emerging diseases, recognize things before they get out of hand on a farm? Is that part of your teaching mission? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's very hard to predict what's going to be the new thing, the new problem. Um, I think we do our best we can with that, um, but it's often, we don't really know what's going to happen ultimately with a lot of these diseases. So yeah, I think we do want to be training people in the fundamentals of say plant pathology or entomology and, and a whole wide variety of different disciplines that matter. So they have the tools that they can adapt to whatever whatever the future throws at them. I don't, I don't think anyone would have guessed that Fusarium head blight, I guess maybe 20 or 30 years ago now, would have been a problem, say, in the 1970s. No one was thinking, oh, Fusarium head blight was on nobody's radar, that it was going to be a problem for wheat. We are concerned with some evolving rust races that have developed in other parts of the world, and we do some preemptive work with sending breeding lines to areas where these new races are to see if we can identify resistance to them in our own breeding material. So that's something we can do. But then there's other diseases like wheat blast, which is found in uh, now in South America. Um, I think it's now into also into the southern United States. Uh, it's uh, caused by an, a plant pathogen that we've never really experienced here in Canada. So it's something to keep on the radar screen, but it's hard to justify spending a, a lot of time and effort on something when we have a whole suite of problems we're currently facing, and they're, they're the imminent threat right now is the current one. So, yeah. so that's I would say that's kind of we have to triage these things a little bit and figure out what, what where our priorities have to be. But yeah, how do you decide which trial to run in an upcoming year, and how far in advance do you plan the research studies that you undertake? Well, the studies themselves, you just think about I guess in terms of as a breeder, what what is currently my limitation or something that I, I would like to be able to do better. 
And uh, that can lead to a whole suite of genetic studies you could conduct to learn about the trait better and develop tools that would help you select for a particular improvement in the trait. Uh, So that's be one thing. And those things take time. Often a genetic study might take four or five years to complete from the stage of conception to you've, you've completed the project. But at the same time, like our breeding program, we're often planning the trials in the period of about two weeks where you harvest one crop early August and then we're seeding in September. So we don't have a lot of time to plan the next set of material we're putting out into the field. So it's, it's a, a bit of a rush at that time of the year. It just depends exactly what, what, what at what level you're considering this at. We have a general plan for the breeding program and that's a long-term plan of so that part doesn't change, and the, the, the actual material that we're testing every year is just kind of, it follows a typical path, I would say. The genetic research is something that is just a little bit more variable. We have to figure out what the priority we think is so, something that's holding us back currently that we'd want to have better knowledge of so we can do it better in the future. Yeah. So in terms of the studies and the who you're training, like you talked about, you know, you're training the next generation of plant breeders, but what other careers might be relevant to that? And maybe help me understand how a plant breeder, is it mostly time in a laboratory or is it mostly time in the field? Well, it's a bit of both. We do a lot of work in greenhouses. Uh, In the summertime, we're in the field primarily. And then the wintertime, we have a lot of work where we're working in the lab, either processing seed and getting it ready for for seeding, or in the case of our fusarium testing, we're basically getting our seed ready and, and prepared for sending off to another lab that will test the fusarium damaged kernels and, and the levels of toxin in the in the grain. So that would be one thing. And then I guess uh, we also in the wintertime we spend more time working on DNA markers, extracting DNA, testing DNA markers so that we can have a better idea of what our breeding lines are from that perspective. And of course in the wintertime the wheat is just sitting in a field as a tiny little cold shivering seedling. So that it's not doing a whole lot of that point in time, but uh, we, we are still busy year-round. And does a wheat breeder collaborate with other types of researchers? Oh yeah, there's a lot of collaboration. Even like in, amongst the wheat breeders themselves, there's a whole lot of uh, exchanging of different tests across the prairies that wheat breeders are doing. We work with a whole bunch of uh, plant pathologists, uh, who specialize in different diseases uh, of the crop. Different diseases are more prevalent in different parts of the prairie, so the best person to study, say, stripe breast is located in Lethbridge, Alberta, because that's where that disease is common. And in Manitoba, we have more problems with leaf and stem rust and fusarium head blight, so that's this is where those diseases are tested. So we have a lot of collaboration on it with plant pathologists. We have collaborations with entomology, uh, entomologists working on uh, wheat midge, um, there's also some people working on weed stem sawfly, um, so that would be another areas of collaboration. And then finally, there's a whole bunch of people working in grain quality. So we work with them in terms of trying to ensure the new breeding lines that we're developing have meet the expectations our customers have, but also we can also work together on genetic studies to, to have a better understanding of what makes good grain quality. So Kurt, what's the most interesting or surprising thing that you've discovered so far? I think something that's come up repeatedly over the course of the research I've been doing is how interrelated different traits are. One of the big things that occurred, I would say, well, this is definitely not my opinion, but it's the green revolution, the introduction of semi-dwarfing genes into wheat for reducing plant height, was really important globally and also in Western Canada for uh, reducing the, the height of the crop and reducing crop lodging. 
Crop lodging is a really important problem. So that's when the crop is uh, basically falling over in the field as it as the grain is filling in the in the in the heads, and uh, that causes all sorts of problems for harvest. It also causes problems with sprouting of the grain as it's uh, ripened in the field. The introducing of these dwarfing genes, semi-dwarfing genes, has prevented a lot of of the lodging problems that we used to experience. It's also meant that farmers can now straight cut combine their, their fields and they don't have to swath it. And I, I don't think really really any swathing of weed is done really anymore. So there, there's been a whole lot of incentive to, to do this, but there has been a, a, maybe some problems with the introduction of these semi-dwarfing genes. I've, it's come up repeatedly in the genetic studies I've conducted. So one of the things that's really widely known is that the shorter plant height is also associated with shorter coleoptiles. So as the crop or the the seeds are germinating, the coleoptile is what gets the the shoot tissue above the soil surface. So this means that varieties that have these semi-dwarfing genes cannot be sown as deep in the soil. So that can cause emergence problems if, if... a farmer is trying to seed deeper to get access to moisture to get the, the seed to germinate. So that's one issue. The work I've done in genetic research on uh, FHB resistance, uh, and this is not just me, but many people around the world have found that semi-dwarfing genes are associated with susceptibility of fusarium head blight. And that includes, there's three major genes that have been used. Um, they're called RHD1, 2, and 8. And these genes, all of them have been associated with increased susceptibility to fusarium head blight. But there are additional uh, dwar- uh, semi-dwarfing genes that have been identified that haven't been used commercially in, in uh, wheat breeding. There's a lot of interest around the world, and I'm quite interested in this as well, looking at these new dwarfing genes to see if we can swap out the old ones and put in these new ones and to see if we can overcome some of these problems. There are dwarfing genes that we do know have no effect on coleoptile length, so they clearly are different than the current ones. If we can find ones that also don't have any effect on or association with susceptibility to fusarium head blight, that could solve some of the bigger problems we're experiencing with fusarium head blight. Because I think if you took out some of these dwarfing genes out of the current varieties and had a taller version of the, those varieties, they'd be a lot more resistant to fusarium head blight. So that's something I'm, I'm quite interested in. And so this kind of theme of these interrelationships between these traits has come up all the time. So I wasn't necessarily expecting this when I first started off in my career as a, as a scientist. And it's been quite interesting to learn about how all these things fit together. And uh, these, these, th- these interrelationships are the reality that breeders have to, to work with. And uh, so it's interesting work. And that would be the, the thing that's been the most surprising to me. That's awesome. No, thanks for all the research that you are doing in terms of, you know, I know that it is impacting, you know, active problems that are, you know, farmers are facing and then all the way to different customers and the end products that we're having. So I'm really great, uh, grateful that, you know, that you are taking the time to lead these research initiatives that are helping with winter wheat across Canada. Um, so before we finish off, Kurt, can you tell us something about yourself that is unrelated to your research? Well, I, I, let's occur, I maybe from the result of the pandemic, I think all of us have spent a whole lot of time indoors and uh, I'm, I'm pretty guilty of being, becoming a TV addict. So I'm, I'm watching way too much TV and still trying to get outside more. But uh, I've, I, we've accumulated as a family a whole bunch of streaming subscriptions and, and uh, that. So I really like murder mystery shows and uh, I can recommend Only Mur- Murders in the Building. Yes. That, that's an <laughs> awesome one. So... People may want to check that one out. Awesome. Currently watching it as well at home. <laughs> this has been Dr. Chantal Bassett, joined by Dr. Kurt McCartney, Associate Professor in the Department of Plant Science at the University of Manitoba. And that's it for today's episode of Changemakers, the Faculty of Agricultural and Food Sciences Research and Innovation Podcast. 
Join me in future episodes to hear about other fascinating research being led by agricultural and agri-food innovators at the University of Manitoba. Thank you.